This is Steady Habits, a Connecticut Mirror podcast. It's where we take a look at life here in the land of steady habits, what works, what doesn't, and how to make things work just a little bit better. I'm John Dankosky. Thanks so much for joining me. And this week, we're going to take a look into the future of Connecticut's capital city. And it's not like a science fiction kind of look 100 years into the future, but something that's a bit more manageable. This is a plan to reroute the highways that have cut off parts of the city from each other for years and also cut off the city from the river that gives Connecticut its name. This plan would knit together smaller projects with big national efforts like an expansion of high-speed rail with hopes of attracting more people to the region and making life better for those who live here. The project's called Hartford 400. It's named for the city's upcoming 400th birthday in 2035 It's a date that marks the European settlement of the region, which has a much longer history of Native American settlement. This plan builds on community work that's been trying to solve some problems. Problems like what to do with the failing I-84 raised highway that cuts right through the city. Ideas about how to fix the failing river walls that keep the Connecticut from flooding Hartford, while still reclaiming access to the river banks. It takes into account tunnel concepts, floated by Representative John Larson, and questions about how to capitalize on $2 trillion or so in infrastructure planning that the Biden administration is hoping to roll out. The cost here, well, it's pretty big, $17 billion over 15 years. But my guest, Doug Sussman, says this confluence of events and opportunities gives the city and the state a chance to do something that might never happen again, a chance to remake Hartford with a really new vision. Sussman is an architect and urban designer. He's based in Los Angeles, but he's a native of Hartford, and he led the city's iQuilt project, a precursor to Hartford 400. He and I have spoken about projects like this for years, dating back about a decade. In the first of two conversations on our podcast, we're going to talk about the big ideas and what it will mean for the roadways which have caused such dislocation and congestion in the greater Hartford region for decades. Doug Sussman, welcome to Steady Habits. Thanks so much for joining me, and it's good to talk to you once again after all these years. Great to reconnect. Does it play into your work that you're doing with the city of Hartford that you were born there? Like, how much does that matter to you when you think about what you're doing? I mean, we. It, it, I think it, it, well, certainly for me personally, it means that the project has, you know, great personal uh, resonance and importance. And, and we've sort of, uh, it, it, I won't say it's entirely a labor of love, but certainly a lot of love goes into it. And, uh, you know, we worked in, in different parts of the world and across the country. And so we get deeply engrossed wherever we're working, but Hartford has particular resonance. So that's on my end in terms of, uh, for the folks of Hartford, I think it has been uh, reassuring at times that, well, there's this guy from LA, what does he know? But so it helps that I grew up there and, and do, you know, and, and that my family's been there a long time and, and, and has, you know, still there and, um, although diminished. And, uh, so, you know, it, it helps overcome that feeling of someone who really doesn't understand us. So what I want to do with you today is walk through this Hartford 400 plan, but I want to start with some of the origins of it and the work that you and your firm have done with the city of Hartford so far. Maybe you can just get us up to speed with how you've come to this point where you have what is seemingly a very well-received, huge plan, which builds on several of 
the city visions that we've been looking at over the years? Yeah, it may help to go back three years, uh, almost exactly three years, April 2018. Downtown has really come a long way. And, and the city of Hartford, with all of its well-known challenges, was, seemed to be moving in a very good direction. When we looked at it, we also saw that it wasn't just downtown Hartford, wasn't just the city of Hartford, wasn't even the seven adjacent towns. It was really all across uh, the region and the Connecticut Valley that lots of interesting things were happening, including some projects, oh, say the Hartford line or Fast Track, which were not particular to the capital city, but really were having an impact across the valley. So there was a lot of reason for optimism and, of course, plenty of room for improvement in, in the areas that, that I think are familiar. We're feeling pretty good about how far we've come, and we pivoted and said, well, let's, let's look ahead. Uh, let's look to the future. The question was, well, what's the time frame? Should we look ahead a couple of years, a few years? And in that conversation three years ago, I said, well, if you guys are willing to stretch a little bit, like not past 10 years, maybe even past 15, like to 17 years out, we're going to turn 400 years old. Now, that's that's a big anniversary. And that might give us something to reach for. Uh, it's always good to have a deadline. And um, a lot of the projects that are being bandied about, large airport expansion, expanding the rail system, expanding the highway system, are, are big long-term projects. And, you know, it, it wouldn't be crazy to think in terms of a 17-year time frame, though for many people that's so far off that it, it, it just doesn't even register. So that was how it started. We said, well, let's call it Hartford 400, kind of has a nice ring. And then we began to have that conversation with an ever-widening circle of people to say, what do you think? In and around that time frame, maybe just a little bit before and a little bit since, there have been a number of different plans that in a kind of piecemeal way have looked at what the city is going to look like. There's been a a project underway that has involved quite a few community members looking at how are we going to fix or tear down and replace or or pave over the huge viaduct that goes through Hartford that's I-84, which I think everyone understands is past its useful life. There's all the questions about what's going to happen to the flood walls that protect the city from the Connecticut River, but which also cut off the city from the Connecticut River. And then we had Congressman John Larson come out with a proposal, which a lot of people looked at and said, oh, oh, John, that's just too much, where we're going to build miles and miles of tunnels underneath the river and, and do things that would really put the big dig in Boston to shame. So all of these things were circling around. As you started looking at this reimagining for Hartford 400, how much of that work did you take into account? How much of it did you discard and say, we're going to have to do something entirely different if we want to rethink the city? Tell me how that work and that thinking went into what you have been doing. Well, you're absolutely right. Uh, Congressman Larson, who really should get uh, you know, major credit for where Hartford 400 has gotten because of his willingness to think big and think long-term, regardless of the details of the, of, of the tunnel plan, but, but he has been a major mover in getting all of us to think in those terms. 
Connecticut DOT's excellent work with the community and community leaders like Tony Gold and a whole citizens group over, oh gosh, I think seven years to come up with a plan that everyone seemed, you know, has been quite happy with. Uh, that, uh, strictly speaking, a highway plan, but with some urban design improvements. As we looked around, there were also big plans to expand um, Bradley Field, a new, you know, a, a new terminal, uh, uh, very important for, for the region to uh, finish the Hartford line, uh, the Newington, West Hartford and Enfield stations to extend CT Fast Track out to East Hartford, Manchester and stores. These were big, big long-term projects all in the wind at that time, uh, plus an ongoing effort out of UPenn that had Hartford at the center of of a prospective uh, high-speed rail system from New York to Boston and anyone who's ridden high-speed rail in uh, in Europe, because that's the only place <laughs> you can ride it, you can't ride, can't ride one yet in, in this country, knows how transformative that is. So all of that was on the horizon. And what we said was, look, we're not inventing anything. We're not gonna invent from scratch here. Uh, what, what we did was we looked at more than 100 plans. We reviewed everything having looked at everything that had been accomplished, that was nice. But now we said, let's let's look at everything that people are thinking about. We sifted through all of those. And the Hartford Foundation had done something really interesting. They had just completed the Hartford Foundation, what they called the listening tour. And I think 20 public meetings uh, around the Connecticut Valley, covering every town or close to every town. We really studied all of those closely. People talked about the need for connection, how we all have to be work together economically, socially, uh, physically. Um, and so there seemed to be across the valley, I'm not saying everyone, but a, a, a kind of consensus that, wow, we, if we're gonna make it, and everyone knows, and the challenges are not just in the inner, you know, within the city of Hartford. I mean, they're, they're broader economic challenges for the region, the population isn't growing. Uh, jobs may not be increasing, it may even be disappearing. So everyone gets that, wow, we got some challenges, we got to work together. So out of that, we came up with five goals that we, we sort of distilled out of all of these plans and all of these meetings, and, and they were um, green, uh, grow, live, move, and play. And that is a Connecticut Valley and a capital city that is more sustainable, uh, more prosperous, more equitable, more mobile, and more vibrant. And those became kind of the, the touchstones for everything that we then did. That was about two and a half years ago, and we came up with those and said, look, whatever we do, is it advancing the valley and the capital city towards those goals? And the Harvard Foundation really made a major grant and has funded our work uh, up to this day. You don't have to necessarily reroute highways or change the way in which major transportation systems work to do many of the things that you just talked about. There's ways to get at that without the really big ticket issues that I think give people so much pause because there's so much cost involved. But your plan does encapsulate that. And so let's get let's get to some of the details. And I guess the first one is the way in which this plan, like other plans before it, reimagines the highway system, which was, to Hartford's detriment, routed directly through the heart of the city decades ago, and under your plan would take a different route. Maybe you can explain, if you would, the thinking about it, but then also 
for people who are just listening to this and maybe don't have a, a map in front of them, mm-hmm. how is it going to change the way you get around literally the city of Hartford as you're driving on the highways of, of 91 or 84? Well, the, and I think you've gotten right to the heart of the question. Let me let me just defer my response to the specifics of, of, of the highway infrastructure component of it, which is important. And, and back it up just a little bit, because I want to stress, and, and we met with Governor Lamont last week, and, and we stressed to him, and he completely uh, got it and, and was very enthusiastic. We said, this is not a highway plan. Hartford 400 is not a highway plan. It's a place plan. It's about what kind of place do we want. Now, the highway system has a huge impact on that and because it's such a big system and it's costly and it's it's hard to change it it gets the most attention but we shouldn't think that this is just about highways yeah the highway dealing with the highways is a means to an end and the end is a connecticut valley and a capital city that is centered on our great connecticut river right down the middle the reason that we're here and yet which is blocked by flood walls, by highway ramps, and so forth, various various reasons, which is not visible, which is not as accessible as it should be, not as central as it should be. But then let's get to the highway system. So why would why would you even take it on at this point? Um, the flood. You asked a good question. Do we have to do the highways to accomplish um, the uh, the other pieces? We could accomplish a lot without, I suppose, touching the highways, but we really won't get the long-term transformation that I think is the goal, which is, for example, on sustainability. I mean, we really need the shift from total auto dependence and, and sprawl to a much more sustainable pattern of higher densities around all the, all the stations that we're building, fast track stations, Hartford Line stations. We can accommodate a whole lot more people, many of whom would be very happy to live in an apartment and walk to a restaurant or, or, a, shop or, or a grocery store. Uh, it doesn't mean people who want to live in a house or a farm can't, but, but we can absorb a lot of density very sustainably and economically and also attract a lot of people to the region who are looking for that kind of way of life. Can't do that with the highway system as it is. So that's that's the kind of placemaking aspect of the highway system. But meanwhile, there's just the sheer traffic problem. And that's what that's what motivated and really uh, empowered conduct to address the 8491 interchange. Because they, they have to have a, a good reason. It can't just be, it would be nice. You know, they have to have a very specific uh, transportation reason uh, to study these things, and 8491 was a very good reason. As they were doing the viaduct project that you mentioned, the the numbers were getting worse and worse on 8491 interchange. It was ranked as the the number two worst interchange for congestion in New England, and I think number 17 in the country. That's that's quite an accomplishment for for a small city. And just to just to be clear, the some of the reasons why include the fact that. If you're driving between, say, my hometown of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Boston, you pretty much have to go through Hartford. And there's an awful lot of people who make that trip every day, truck traffic, car traffic, bus traffic, to to make that voyage. And they don't really care about any of Hartford's problems or the Connecticut Valley's problems. They're just trying to get from point A to point B. And I think that we think of the highways as moving those people, but most of the traffic that happens 
around that interchange happens because people who live and work here just jump on the highway because it's the easiest access road. I mean, the, the traffic is local traffic. And so we really have to solve that problem if we're going to solve any of the congestion problems in the city. Well, I think so. I mean, of course, one of the ways to solve the congestion problem is to provide alternative forms of transportation besides the car, like a really good bus, rail, and system. And we have we do have a bus system, we do have a rail system, but it's it lags way behind in sure. terms of the numbers. And allowing people to live closer to where they work and shop so that they can walk or bike. So these are all the things that we now know how to do. Hartford is so heavily invested in its automobile uh, this roadway system. And of, of course, we need the interstate highway system for freight. We need trucks and, and they got to go on the highways, but we don't need it for our everyday trips. And yet we use it. So that that's one. The other is I think Hartford's one of only two significant cities in the country that doesn't really have a ring road for what you're describing. So from Pitts, your trip from Pittsburgh to Boston, most metropolitan areas would have a way where you would not go through the downtown. We just don't have it. There were plans for it. There was resistance to it because it went through suburban uh, or rural areas. Uh, for whatever reason, we don't have it. And so what I think the plan actually proposes is a kind of mini ring. Uh, it's it's sort of a triangular ring around the central area. It's not as massive a ring as, say, you know, 495 around Boston when you're going up to Maine or New Hampshire. But um, I think it, it's, it's practical and, and would have a lot of benefits. So uh, Condot is, uh, came and looked at, at 8491 interchange. <clears throat> the thing I want to emphasize is whatever you think of tunnels, whatever you think of new bridges, whatever you think of the plan, the news that should have all the church bells ringing throughout across the Connecticut Valley is that, that our Department of Transportation concluded that the 8491 interchange has to be moved. That's the big news, as we saw it, because they, they decided to, you know, usually you would expand it, uh, you'd add lanes, you'd add ramps, you'd do it. They concluded it cannot, we cannot address the congestion in place. It's got to move. Now, when we looked at it, we said, that is stunning. Regardless of where it moves to, and they looked at alternatives in the south, in the north, in the east, it, the the impact of just getting rid of it in downtown, it, what, the consequences were, were, were staggering. I mean, we calculated that there are as many as 40 acres. I'm not talking about 4,000 square feet or I'm talking about 40 acres of urban land in the downtown on the riverfront or near the riverfront that are suddenly that are owned by conduct, owned by the public, uh, by us, which suddenly get opened up for urban development. I mean, that is in the life of a city to suddenly have 40 riverfront or downtown acres become available mm -hmm. to grow the city in a sustainable way. That's historic. So I, I want to just say, and that's where we started. And we said, okay, well, let's just look at the con what, what could happen where the interchange is. And it means that the, we can get the riverfront back and I'll describe how that happens. It means that we can get rid of that horrible trench uh, 320 feet wide, 10 lanes that really created a Berlin Wall between the north end of Hartford and downtown. I mean, and and then a and then a horrible kind of toxic zone all around it of parking lots, and it really segregated the north uh, North Hartford from from uh, the downtown and the rest of the city. 
And we know, and the Biden administration and Pete Buttigieg have been very clear that one of their priorities is going to be to uh, favor projects which undo that kind of discriminatory highway planning and reconnect. And one of the Hartford 400's key goals on the highway infrastructure piece is remove that trench, when you know where I mean, where it curves around a Union Station, which by taking out the interchange, we can do. We don't need that piece of 84 uh, anymore. But the broad goals, I think, are three. One is reconnect the North End and undo the, the terrible damage that was done. Can I, can I take a time out? When that was done, and it, it, I've just been reading the history, and it's, it's so poorly documented, it's, it's kind of shocking. But my conclusion from what I've seen is Robert Moses came to town, said you need to plow highways through poor neighborhoods, get rid of the slums. We displaced 700 families in the north end of Hartford to build that, even though the highway didn't even in the in the end go through go along that route, but they were still displaced, promised new houses, didn't get them, and cleared uh, something like seventy acres of land, just demolished. In fact, my great grandfather had a had a, a wholesale fruit uh, store on Morgan Street that was wiped out. I mean, you know, a, a whole swaths of the historic city were wa- wiped out to build that we got to repair that and, and, and reconnect. So that's one. The other is the riverfront, which of course everybody wants. And, and, uh, and, and there are, what we found is there are ways to deal with the flood wall as it is and still get the riverfront back and then East Hartford. So what, what hadn't been looked at up until we started looking at it because Condot had no mandate to look across the river because there wasn't a particular traffic problem there. We realized that if we move the interchange, we can actually also get rid of the mix master. And that's where I want to come back to Congressman Larson. His plan, though ambitious, we have two miles of tunnel. I think he had eight miles of tunnel. Uh, he had uh, his original plan. When I say his plan, I mean, he's embraced wholly Hartford 400. So this is his plan. Hartford 400 is his plan. But his original sketch also had the interchange underground, which I think was technically troubling to Condot engineers because there were very few precedents for putting an interstate interchange underground, much, you know, with tunnels we could do. And it was going to be very costly. But what he was getting at was we need to get our riverfront back. And I need from my hometown of East Hartford, which he loves. He was a high school teacher there. He knows the whole history. We were, uh, you know, we got a raw deal. We got the mix master. East Hartford was used, you know, working class uh, uh, minority town was used again in through highway engineering as the place to deal with all the problems and the connections and, and the mix master was dumped. We can get rid of it. And that is that is also that was the second headline and earth shattering. If part of the historic problem with the way the interstates were built was that it displaced communities in, say, the north end of Hartford, and it dumped a mixmaster into East Hartford. If you look at this plan, obviously it heals, it is meant to heal many of those wounds, but it does involve tunneling under existing neighborhoods, as I understand it, and doing quite a bit of construction within neighborhoods and really changing the face of, across the river, East Hartford in a way that would be transformative, but would also be very disruptive shorter term. I guess I'm wondering how this plan deals with the fact that you can't get around some disruption 
in the neighborhoods of Hartford if you want to eliminate an interchange that's right in the middle of the city? So uh, let me let me take issue just with one aspect. Of course, construction is going to involve, uh, you know, construction's construction, but it is not true that there has to be um, disruption in the neighborhoods. We have made excruciating efforts to avoid, as far as we know, in the lines we drew and in the proposals we made, the removal or demolition of, of a single house or, or apartment building. I mean, or, or going through in, in any residential neighborhood where you would be aware of it. That, that was just where we started, of course, because that was the problem before. How is that possible? Well, you can tunnel, uh, the, these tunnel uh, uh, boring machines go about their business for weeks, months, a year, you're not even aware of it. And then at the end, the tunnel is there. And uh, so the new route across South Hartford, which by the way, was in Congressman Larson's plan, would go down in an industrial area and come up in, in an industrial area. You know, I, I can't claim there's zero impact, uh, <clears throat> but the goal has been to absolutely minimize the impact both in North Hartford and South Hartford. In North Hartford, it mainly runs through the North Meadows, in South Hartford, it runs, it goes underground at Flatbush, which is industrial right now, and then comes out at just uh, just west of Charter Oak Bridge, which is the South Meadows industrial area. You've described a kind of a triangular uh, highway ring road that if you're coming from the west of Hartford, allows you to, to skirt around the, the city. But 91 is still going to go, in your plan, along the river. And right now, there's this big trench that divides the city from the riverfront, with a few exceptions. We've built a little bridge across so that you can walk over the highway. In this plan, 91 continues right up the Connecticut River, but we don't see it. That's right. So if if we didn't have a, a heavily flooding river, I think we might have proposed moving 91, as Congressman Larson's initial plan did. But when we looked at it, we realized, well, you know, you can move 91, you're still going to have a 22-foot high uh, flood wall um, between the city, between downtown and the river. That that doesn't go away. It can't go away. It's got to be repaired, and that's in the plan. So we thought, well, um, it, it wasn't just us. Condot came up, uh, Connecticut DOT came up with uh, this idea of, okay, well, we could cap 91. Might as well leave it in place because you got a, a flood wall, the top of which is 47 feet above normal river. That isn't going away. So we thought, well, what if we lifted up all of the city streets above 91, two plus 47, so it sits right on top of the flood wall. From up there, you have wonderful views over the whole valley and the river, and then you slope back down to the waterfront. And then we can um, run Riverside Park along the entire length uh, of, of the city, extended from a half mile to, to two miles long. And the road up that you would climb up to would be called River Road. That sits right above 91 and the railroad track. By the way, 91 gets a lot narrower because the reason it's so wide there is because of the interchange. There's so many connecting ramps. Once you get rid of the interchange and it's just through uh, three, probably three lanes in each direction, the whole thing is probably half the width to this now. So it's easier to get up and over. So River Road sits on top. The whole city would rise up. In, in our plan, every east-west street in downtown would take you up 
to River Road and to the directly to Riverside Park and the river, every street. I mean, the river would be accessible literally from from everywhere. That's a riverfront city. Now you have to climb, you have to get up, but you gradually rise or there's a staircase or an escalator or an elevator, but mostly it would be streets gently rising up to River Road. So at that point we thought it's better to just leave 91 in place because if we move it, one, it's very expensive, and two, you're just moving the impacts to some other part. So that's why 91, why we left 91 there. And um, it, 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 it's, I think it's the most cost-effective way uh, to, to go. But it seems cost-effective, and it seems elegant, it seems thoughtful, and it seems like we could have done this years ago. It seems like this is something that could have been imagined years ago. The, the levy, the flood wall had to be at that height. We had to get over it no matter what. The road sits down below. There's always a way that we could have done this. And I guess yep. I'm just wondering why it takes all of this to make that simple thing happen, which could have transformed so much of the rest of the city. I, I, one word, money. You know, there's a, there's a significant cost to doing it. Um, and so there just hasn't been, a, you know, we invested hugely in the interstate highway system 70 years ago. And everything since then has been patch jobs, you know, um, a, a, a one bridge here, a fix up job there. We haven't had a major transformative infrastructure plan since then. Now with President Biden, this is a once, uh, once in 70 year transformation with, if the bill passes and the funding is there, with the funding to back it up. So you can think big. I mean, it was always possible to dream this, but we didn't even have money to move the interchange, much less build River Road on top of 91. Now, you know, we've priced all of that in and it is, uh, the, the request is I think proportional to what Connecticut, the kind of funding Connecticut should be getting given what we send in. So that's, I think that's why, John, um, people have dreamed this. I mean, people have come up with various plans, but it always just, it seemed like a pipe dream. Uh, and now the too big, the other thing is Condot, has seriously looked at it. They're engineers. This is not some group dreaming. This, they're, they're very serious engineers actually propose not as extensive as we propose, but this kind of thing. So that gives it credibility. And now there's the possibility that it can get funded. Uh, Doug Sussman, we've talked about the highways and we've talked about the impetus behind this plan. Why don't I have you back and we'll talk about rail, mm -hmm. bicycling, walking and just the way in which this plan makes Hartford and the region feel different in the future. Sound good? Uh, Hartford 400 part two. I, I, I look forward to it. <laughs> this sounds good. Doug Sussman, thanks so much. And I appreciate uh, your time. Thanks so much, John, for the chance to, to, to talk about the plan. And uh, I, I look forward to continuing the conversation. Doug Sussman of Sussman Urban Design. If you want to see some pictures of what we're talking about, the new map of Hartford's roadways and a vision for the River Road, go to our website, steadyhabits.org. There you can also read an in-depth story on the plan by one of America's best writers on urban design, the Connecticut Mirror's Tom Cotton. Thanks to George Mastrianis and Dave Swanson at Legend Studios for providing our Steady Beats. I'm John Dankosky. We'll be back with part two of this conversation. Thanks for joining me.